Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. So guys, you hear any good uh, balloon jokes lately? <laughs> pop Nothing that really pop. Ay ay ay. Well, hey, we are uh, we are joined by no less a personage than Chase Kaufman. Uh, this is Horology 411's what third or fourth appearance now with us. Oh, that's right, because oh. we had the surprise appearance yeah. when we did one oh. of the brew crew rides. Or I, I was riding. That's right at RT Rogers. Yeah, he was oh, a surprise oh. guest. I forgot. That's about right. That. I forgot about that one. I, yeah. I didn't forget about the that, but I forgot about this being recorded or it being recorded. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, Horology 411 has probably forgotten more about watches and horology and just general sort of hobby lore. Than just about anybody we know, you know, certainly, you know, the average, uh, the average bear on Instagram or whatever, um, you know, he's got an eponymous watch sales and consulting business, and we're happy to have him here with a, an, like, kind of a, an enormous spread. I mean, this is an embarrassment of riches of things to look at here from, you know, Zen, Formex, Oris, Omega, Norcane, God knows how many different kinds of pocket watches. There's multiple Patek Philippe here. There's really cool Citizen. There's Universal Genève. Uh, we got the new Snoopy here and Rolex, and it just keeps going on and on and Neo on. Baylor. Yeah. Vacheron. Vacheron. So <laughs> we are here, basically. I'm going to turn this over to Greg because I think Greg probably can uh, introduce the topic. But the last time we were with Chase, right, we talked about basically, you know, um, materials and watches, but more focused on on cases and construction and today we're talking about dials so greg do you want to take it away i do but first if it's not a watch podcast if we don't wrist check for check oh absolutely and and give the locale yeah let's do that let's do that so let's start with our guest mr uh chase what's on wrist today well well (laughs) they're off wrist and on table but but by now nothing's on wrist but i'll i'll just use the sin as on wrist because i recently purchased a bracelet for it uh, directly from Sin, in fact, from their Hauptsitz in Frankfurt. Uh, it was quite a nice experience. I got the five link, or what they, I think, what they call the fine link bracelet, as opposed to the H link that a lot of people are familiar with. This one then has a butterfly clasp, you know, hidden. It makes the 356 UTCSA if we want to use the full reference. Yeah. Uh, it makes this watch everything that I had always wanted it to be and has even more firmly cemented it in my heart and collection. It's, uh, first of all, congratulations. And we're gonna hear more a little bit, of, a little bit about what you, where you've been and what you've been up to and how you were able to grab that in person perhaps. But uh, you're right, it's almost like new life into a watch that frankly didn't need new life, but takes it elevated, I think. Right? Yep. 
So, hey, we are, just by way of preamble to the next question, which is what do you have in the glass, we are actually recording live at Mount Low, and unfortunately, for whatever reason, we're outside, and uh, the business next door has just started some kind of exterior generator. I, yes. Hopefully, it's not going to come you know, too loud in here. It's, it, I don't think it would be a Spirit of Time episode recorded live without some kind of weird, like... <laughs> without some kind of machinery or, running, Yeah, right? oral That's interference right. or whatever. But, Chase, what do you have in the glass from Mount Low? Well... I started with a, uh, a golden blonde, that was the first. Right now we're on the stud light, which is, they describe as a classic lager. It's definitely light. I would say unfortunately a little lighter than I had hoped, but it's very tasty, delicious, and refreshing. I will give them an A-plus on the name, that's a great name play. Yeah, and, stud um, light, yeah. Especially leading up to the big game, we're about a week out of the Super Bowl here. Yeah, that's uh, right. I could see a couple stud lights going down you know, throughout the, the course of the, the game. Right on. I can drink to that, and I just did. <laughs> well, Greg, how about you? What have you got on there? So I walked in wearing the uh, Formex um, Essence. This is the Formex Essence Space Rock. We've been blessed to have two of the Space Rocks in from Formex right now. We have both the Essence and the Essence Lagera, which is the uh, carbon and ceramic cased. Um, both are meteorite dials, which is absolutely on purpose for today's show um man i don't know this is my first time having a formex on wrist and guys I, I dig it um i think it clocks in at 41 millimeters but it's it's got a great shape it's got uh this this case suspension system which i to be frank i, I really See didn't this? understand oh, yes. oh I, I i saw them in person uh previously when uh, down in orange county and I did not see the Legere uh, when I was there, but this is particularly impressive. The combination of the the ultralight case and the matte black with the um, with the meteorite is visually very appealing, and um, from a weight and wearability perspective, I just I've been tickled with it for like the past ten minutes that I've been here. It, 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 I told Matt the same thing. I threw it on the wrist the minute it arrived in the mail and it didn't come off for about a week straight. Um, this one came with a, also a carbon deployant, which it almost made me question my disbelief in deployants. I'm typically not a deployant fan. Me either. Oh. Um, and this one is super comfy. This is on some sort of synthetic canvasy wow. strap right now. It's, it's sort of like a, a deep navy and black weave. And um, they gave us a number of straps. I mean, we've got leather, we've got NATOs, we've got canvas. There's um, bracelet for the steel. Bracelet on the stainless. But uh, to me, the the Lagara, this this carbon cased one on that particular synthetic canvas or synthetic, uh, you know, strap with the deployant is like a plus. I have to agree. And the the ultra light. I, I'm glad they actually went with the same material or at least a similar feeling material in a deployment. It feels very nice as well. It's it's surprisingly light. Cool. I'll give them another prop too. This Watch Gecko NATO. Did you did you get a chance to mess with that at all? I didn't try it on that, no. So this they've got a Watch Gecko NATO in there with what I imagine is also matching hardware. And it's pretty Oh this pretty does, nice. it feels like this doesn't weigh anything. It's nothing at all. It feels I like, like I'm wearing nothing at all. That's a Simpsons reference. Oh, <laughs> uh, do you know that? I don't know that. Oh one. my God, that's I do. We just become best friends. That's if we haven't been for the last two years, maybe now. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, my wife is going to get a huge kick out of that because she we we riff on that stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, I um, I now so without getting into too much detail because this is basically just your wrist check. I I vibed much more with the the carbon fiber than with the steel. The mm -hmm. steel is kind of too monochromatic for me. 
I just felt like a little, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I think it's fair. I think it, it's fair. I think, you know, it probably, honestly, it probably would have been better if they just sent us the steel by itself. Ooh, the impression right. the impression would have been very different, but right. having the two of them together, it's like, it's so radically different, the wearing experience. Um, but yeah, you know, and then, of course, the party piece, right, is the meteorite dial on both of these. 100%. Super cool watches. Um, what do you have in the glass? In the glass right now is the Pog. That's right, you heard that correct. Pog is a raspberry and passion fruit ale. Um, not a sour, really just a standard ale, probably uh, with some sort of, you know, macerated fruits. And, yeah. And uh, pretty nice. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, wouldn't be appropriate if we didn't. It's a 70 degree day here in Southern California, and this one's going down easy in the in the nice uh, weather today. Yep, yep. In fact, so much so that I'm unbuttoning my shirt. You heard that correct, folks. Got the uh, new. Well, I've got a shirt under the shirt. <laughs> I didn't want to tell them that. I wanted to let their imagination. Go. Although you got to admit this. So this Hawaiian shirt is new to me, and I mean, on a scale of like one to like early '80s Tom Selleck, like how how good does this look? Twelve. Yeah. Thanks. A absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm digging this. I, I did wear the watch on purpose. I, I knew you did. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. It's on you now. All right, we'll, we'll start with the wrist check then. I have the, um, the Tudor Black Bay GMT. Doesn't necessarily fit in with the topic, but it's just the, the watch that kind of goes good on a sunny, clear Southern California day with beer and a Hawaiian shirt and Vans, man. So yeah, you gotta go with the, the Pepsi GMT. This is Saturday, Matt. Lo yeah. Love this watch. Um, I do still have this on the, uh, the Forstner Jubilee, so it's a, a pretty dramatic taper to this Jubilee. Um, I tell people when we were at that a Tudor event about six months ago, that basically the, the brand leadership from Tudor was here in North America was at this event. And from across the room, the guy saw me and just made a beeline. It was like, what is that? You know, interrogated me about the bracelet. Basically, the word was, you know, you didn't hear this from me because, you know, it's not corporate of me, but that looks pretty bitching. Like, maybe we need to have something like that. It, it really lightens up the watch quite a bit. I think it reduces the visual mass a lot and it, while still providing enough weight to kind of counterbalance the, the watch head. I, I like it a lot. And I, I'm generally, so in, in the modern Rolex bracelet world where you have really only three flavors, I tend to prefer the Jubilee over the Oyster, or at least I like the Jubilee and President bracelets, which are actually very similar, a little softer and more rounded. I have, there is one thing that's bothering me. Yeah. And I like the taper on that. Yeah. But what I don't like is that only the outer links are tapered. And so at the top near the head, the center links look strangely narrow. And but they look very correct near the near the buckle. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. In other words, it's not. Uh, this would need to have a little bit wider wingspan on this polished segment. Yes. But here's the party piece for me, and this is where I think it is definitely superior. Is look at all the adjustability. There are. Let's just count this: one, two, three, four, five, six holes for this thing. So, and I'm one of these people that I'm I'm pretty skinny, but my wrist circumference varies a lot just based on my diet and fluid intake and if I've you know had french fries with salt or something like that and how much I'm working out and I really really appreciate the ability to up and downsize this and this gives you a lot of room without having to fart around with links you can you yes. can do all the work on the on the clasp so anyway that's what's on the wrist and then um, I have the mount low this is the the tailboard yes and this is basically um, I want to say this is kind of their their 
garden variety lager beer. You know, um, oh, it is. It, it, well, is it a pilsner? I don't think it's a lager. Is it a Maybe it is. You know a what? Lager. You may be right. I I bet you are right. I did. You of course brought this for me. I asked for it by name, so I didn't see the description. Well, the reason why I didn't look at the description, but when I arrived, I asked if they had a lager on draft, and they said that they don't. So that's my my assumption is just simply based on that fact. No, you could absolutely be right. <laughs> In fact, I'm I'm guessing you are right because, uh, as you say, you know they're if well, it is what it is. But um, this is essentially kind of just a their equivalent to like a, an 805 or something like that. Just very super approachable. This is basically a good second beer, mm-hmm. and it is our second beer. I had the mm-hmm. the IPA before. So anyhow, that's what we've got. Let's dive into the main topic, shall we? Yeah, Why don't well, you... before we do that, Chase, you grabbed the Zen bracelet somewhere. Well, you've been around, you've not, been about not, for a few weeks. I will say, I, I didn't get the Zen bracelet somewhere. I got it at the place. The the only place, not the only place, but definitely the place. The place. Um, I, I've, I've had very fortunate to have been able to travel and I was in Germany and Switzerland uh, for essentially December um, and a little bit of January. While I was there, I took a little jaunt up to Frankfurt and paid a visit to the SIN headquarters to buy a bracelet for the watch because, of course, that's what you do. Naturally. If you need, you need something for your watch, you'd go directly to the factory. Why would you bother with anything? Go else? to the source. Right. Yeah, well, you know, I have to imagine that with Zinn, that is the way to do it if you can. Because yes. why wouldn't you? How many other places have, you know, a store right there on the premises? Oris does, but Zinn, I think, is famous for it. That's Zin, super cool. They actually have a store in their factory, and then they have an affiliate location in the old town, Frankfurt, which oh. is really actually beautiful. And what's interesting, and this. This might be, uh, hopefully not too tangential on the topic of the podcast, but their choice of location for their boutique is one where they're not on the main shopping street. They're not on the, quote, Rodeo Drive of Frankfurt. They are in the Old Town. They're, they're in the primary old square, the, the town square of Old Frankfurt, where they have really... I think made a conscious choice if not a very lucky choice to make the statement that they are integral to the identity of Frankfurt and not just the retail therapy part of Frankfurt yeah sorry well this is not tangential to the the topic we're going to circle back to that yeah Chase Chase is talking and I've like reached across the table to grab the uh, the Vacheron Constantin pocket watch the fob watch all right I just let's set opened this up, up the, i think the we're, getting, we're, we're we're kind of salivating here. yeah you can tell that we wanted we really want to to dig in before we do that chase i think you also had oh. quite a be quite a few super nice beers uh as you were out and about and then has sort of readjust you're readjusting your palate now back stateside yes i actually commented to greg i said this is essentially my first beer since coming back i remember my first beer <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, um, I'm a big fan of Roadhouse in general, and specifically, I'm a big fan of the Roadhouse uh, Hefeweizens. And I know that some people may look at Hefeweizens and the ways that they look at them, but these are wonderfully flavorful, 
full-bodied, full-palate beers that are just a joy. Well, people who look at Hefeweizens the way they look at them, they can suck it because Hefeweizens exactly. are awesome. <laughs> they That's are. like the best. Yes, they, yeah. they absolutely are. Uh, that one, the, there's another um, another one I had. I, I forget the... I, I just forgot the name of the brewery. It's uh, But the, the particular beer is called Edelstoff. Uh, and it's what they call an export style beer, even though that doesn't mean that it's only exported because you can certainly drink it there in Germany. Sure. Actually, um, it, I don't know if it's... Uh, was it ABK? I don't think it's ABK. That was a conversation I was having with Mike Stockton. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Stockton offline about beer. Um, but it, uh, could it be Schneiderweiss? It, One of the Bavarian... It, it was no. It is a Bavarian beer, the Augustiner. Oh yes, Augustine. So it's okay. an Augustiner. In a, so in a right over here mm -hmm. at uh, at our place Vendome, which you could throw a rock to. Actually, it's right over there. Mm -hmm. um, that place has both uh, the Rothaus and a couple of different Augustiner at any time. It's, Do they have the full spectrum of Rothaus? Because usually no, here, no. okay, yeah, just just you know the um, the pills. Yes, that. It's, it's, they have excellent lagers, they have excellent Märzen, they have, I, I don't understand why we never get any of the other stuff. So I don't know that they carry Roadhouse, but have you ever been to, sorry I'm going to diverge here, but there is a, a little German market in uh, Montrose. Hmm. And I've not been they, there. They have um, like uh, Benedictiner, mm -hmm. and they'll have Augustiner, and they have... Um, uh, uh, Oh, come on. They have Paul Anner in cans. Oh, okay. Um, some other things like that. So I'm trying to think of um, one of the... There's at least one or two of the... Um, the Abbey beers from Bavaria, and it's just escaping me, which I think it might be might be close to Andex. Andex, sir? Oh, it could be Andex, and it, yeah. I think... Well, anyway, is Eyinger Bavarian as well? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so there we go. It's it could also be that. Oh, Eyinger, so Eyinger is really Eyinger's good. Yeah. So good. My cardiologist is this. Uh, is he's a, like an honest to Pete, you know, son of a, a Bavarian nobleman kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's his favorite beer. He's like, oh, that's how do you know about these things? I was like, yeah. you know, come on, man, it's good beer. Anyway, we're we're way off on a tangent. Let's get back to what we were talking about. Sorry, hold on. Yeah, beer is never a tangent. <laughs> Not on this. And you should never apologize. <laughs> Not for it. on this one. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we like Chase. Uh, all right. So Matt started hitting on it. It was about ten months ago. We all hung out together, yep. and it was actually sort of in celebration of our one-year anniversary as That's a podcast, right? right? Yeah. So we were wanting to do something fun and interesting, great topic. We talked all about precious metals, alternative materials, and we focused on cases and bracelets, and, and we talked about other things too, but it was primarily on the outside. Yeah. And we had a chance to bring in a few watches recently, which we'll get to, and we just started thinking, I think dials... I hate to say this are back because they've always been here, but I think people are thinking about them in a different way again and maybe hearkening back to some things that were done a few decades ago or even longer, new things that are in development. And, um, you know, it just seemed like a really neat topic to come back to with Chase, his wealth of knowledge, sort of this catalog and library of things that he can, you know, show us in person, but also, um, you know, sort of just get into it a little bit. Um, you know, we don't make sweeping generalizations on the pod really, but, you know, I think it appears to me that sort of stone dials are really in vogue again. 
um, and that maybe that plays into some of the trends and tastes that we're we're seeing. Yeah, certainly non-traditional colors. I would say traditional colors. I would I would say maybe ne not necessarily stone, but alternative materials for sure, because we've seen a lot more mother of pearl, which I wouldn't classify as a stone. Correct. But but yes. So you know, we'll, I'll, I'll stipulate to your point for sure, at least to the to the essence of your point sure but yeah you figure you know when you look at like the physical expression of a watch the way you interact with it um you know it's the case is a big part of the overall presentation right but then the dial really is the thing that we probably you know interact with visually the most so we kind of at that time th thought i think after finishing our you know um chase k and montreche episode that we could probably just come back and and do another full hour just on on dials why don't we do this? Uh, well, do, first of all, do you want to, you know, segue or keep? Uh, yeah, like, let's go. Okay. What I was going to suggest is let's just, you know, throw out like a, a dial like presentation or a dial expression. And as a ground rule, because we've got a bunch of them here, we could probably literally record for two plus hours. Easily. Why don't we try to take like two minutes and sort of talk about each thing? Because um, we've got probably at least a half a dozen things here in terms of different types of dials um, and just you know take it from there does that sound cool yeah yeah right, right on and so and then like sort of the ground rules too so like so we're all clear to like you know a basic dial right if you just looked at any given non out of the ordinary dial basically a substrate of metal right or some sort of metal alloy painted or lacquered generally yeah yeah it's you, you have a substrate you have the visible surface, and then you may have indices. May have indices, and we're going to talk indices too. And so now what we're, I think, going to kind of transition and pivot to is different things that are on top of a base plate or entire construction or just really bunkers and kind of out there stuff. Yeah. Yep. So what should we, well, do you want to start with um, the watch that was on your wrist? Do you want to start with something like Meteorite? Let's go. Let's go all the way back in the chronology, maybe. Okay, sounds good. Because I have an idea for where I'd like to start. I'd like to start with the simplest topic, the base plate. Okay. Because there's really not much to talk about there. You essentially have a either an alloy that Greg said, mm -hmm. or you can have a precious alloy. And someone would ask, well, why would you have a precious alloy? For something that really is never visible to anyone but the watchmaker and the question is that precious metals going back to our previous episode are oftentimes much more stable mm -hmm. so excluding something that i've never seen like for example a titanium base plate that would also be relatively inert right uh the choice is often to use gold for its stability and as a as a counterpoint to stability we have an example here the the baler that i brought because it has a base metal base plate, which most watches have, probably some, probably brass. Right. Almost, I would say, if you don't know what your watch base plate is, the, sorry, dial base plate is, probably brass. There's some verdigris that's coming through because this watch was exposed to, as we said in the previous episode, lived many decades in the Caribbean, probably wasn't properly serviced, and there was definitely moisture contamination in there that got some verdigris bubbling through the, um, the lacquer on the, Style. Yeah, and this is what I think a lot of the um, the kind of 
the watch nerds would geek out over as being like a really like genuinely tropical dial. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it I, came I, from the Caribbean, no? It, That's I, what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah it, but it, it's it, it did. I, it's browned <laughs> up really nicely and it's got that tints of green through it. It looks cool. That's uh, that's what drew me to it, and I, I'm not. I'm usually not a tropical dial. It's a degradation you know, of materials. Degradation right. of materials, exactly. It is there. There we have it. There is a. It's I think a very attractive degradation. <laughs> yep. Um, but I've been for, called that myself. Oh yes. Time to time. I, I think in this group we probably all have. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the reason. This is the counterpoint. I aspire for, to be an attractive degradation. <laughs> <laughs> for why you would use gold as the base plate for the dial. So, okay, so we've got, we've established the, then that something that is um, sturdy and as relatively inert as possible is probably the best choice. And therefore probably some, you know, uh, stable alloy of, I mean, I know that, that there's that industry term of base metals, but in a lot of cases it's gonna be something like brass, German silver, um, something along those lines, right? Am I right? Mm-hmm. Or is that, okay. Well, the brass is not inert. No, but or, I mean, yeah. So you, sorry, you're saying that you have either either a base metal or something that's inert. Y- yeah. Right, right, sorry. Good way to put it, good catch. Um, so that's the first piece of our conversation. Where do we go from there? Do we go enamel? Is that is that sort of... How would you describe the timeline of sort of, you know, the evolution maybe of, of sort of dial materials? Would enamel then sort of in, in the pocket watch world and, and, and beyond sort of be the next? Well, I would say originally you, the dial would have just been, you, you wouldn't have had anything on top. You would have had your, your dial was the base plate. It probably would have been carved. You probably would have had indices applied or painted or you'd have potentially the dial actually engraved or guilloche but you that that was first there was nothing on top you had you had one layer we'll call it a, a single layer single dial layer. versus now a multi-part dial of some sort even though there's an exception to that here as well yeah which is which is the patek that's somewhere on the table that we talked about last time. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, myself, I probably would have a, a locator device on that, but you can sense the idea, oh, the well, I think, depth of. Uh, I was going to say, pieces. is there? There's more than one Patek on the table, <laughs> right? So we right. gotta. This is the thirty-six sixty-seven, uh, and then specifically with. So the finish has a, an interesting name, a very, very, very Swiss name. Uh, Freinli is at least how it's spelled, which is. And the reason that it has that name is that apparently this was the finish that was used on old, when uh, Swiss coins were potentially gold or at least hand finished and hammered. So this is the hammered or coin type of finish. Yeah, basically it, I would describe it as kind of finely dimpled, like a, a bark texture. Yes. It, it, actually, it, you're, you're right. Yeah. Or another way, if you look at the... Uh, if you look at the frosted finish that AP, this is then the much much enlarged version of a frosted finish. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it the finish basically is uh, on the dial, and then as an entire unit, you know the watch sort of that finish is interrupted by the lines, the contours of the case itself, right? And then the the bracelet 
it's almost it's I would almost describe it as a, a strap in gold as opposed to a bracelet, mm-hmm. you know, right. it, and it's essentially the identical finish. So it, it just basically continues all the way around this thing. Um, really, really interesting watch. It is interesting because then what you from at least from the top side, if you ignore the buckle, all you really see is the bezel that interrupts the the watch. Yeah, otherwise it almost feels like this infinity loop of, right. the, of the finish. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this thing, I, what sort of shocks me is the lack of any sort of visible points of articulation, but the finish on it is just amazing. And the dial, this would be, you know, in the modern era, this would be sort of the uh, the purview of Grand Seiko or something. I agree. Maybe, or Creedor. Yeah. The, you don't, unfortunately, don't see much like this now. This is definitely, uh, I think this particular piece was made in 1980, but it has very strong 70s DNA. Probably, this was probably made towards the end of the use of this finish. Yeah, this is, um, seriously, I think I might have said it before, but this is like borderline Shaw of Iran style. You know, maybe that might be a little bit more like the Beta 21. You know, it's kind of perforated like the like right. golf ball. Because this is also ultra thin. That's the other part, which is hard to tell now. But you have a you don't have much of a deviation in thickness between the watch case and the as Matt called it. I like the gold strap term. Yeah, it it does not the way it's it's thin and it does not look like again there's no no visible points of articulation it does not look like a conventional bracelet it, it looks like a strap a flexible you know kind of pliable material but just rendered in precious metal instead of in in fabric leather or, or you know nylon or whatever it's it's pretty incredible it, it makes you wonder how they did it yeah um, i i can't disagree with you i happen to like this one a lot which is why well i guess which is why i have it <laughs> yeah yeah and why wouldn't you i mean it's pretty phenomenal okay so that's are we calling that then a like a, a gold dial or what are we saying it is. okay yeah it actually it is, is just there. gold it's it is just, just a, right a layer. yeah yeah okay uh, patek often or I, I think typically it they use a gold base plate patek does i believe that rolex does as well and there are many other manufacturers i'm sure a, i'm sure ap vacheron and um, ALS and many fine one that watch manufacturers will choose a gold base plate just because you don't have to worry about any sort of shift in the in in the nature or state of the base plate that may affect anything that's on top of it. So where do we go from there? Uh, then we go to I think where you where you started to go enamel. Right, because now and we've that, gotten past the single layer to now what do we put on top of it? And at that point, there certainly wasn't much going on with lacquer, but people did know what to do with glass, mm-hmm. and essentially that's, that's what enamel is. Enamel is glass. Yeah. And you brought something very cool. Well, as did you, it looks like. I haven't even seen what you brought, but enamel is something that was very common in the 19th century and early 20th century, and even though it was, let's say, very much de rigueur 150 years ago, now um, we're told that we should very, very highly covet it uh, if a watch is produced today with an enamel dial. Mm-hmm. Now, the downfall of an enamel dial is that 
of course, they can crack. Right. It's and you're glass. looking at a cracked yeah. dial right now. I, Not I, Chase's, right. mine. I, it's it's the reason that we that enamel was often has we've got away from enamel also because they would crack during firing. So forget about the cracking that we see now. You have a very high loss rate. That's right. Interesting note, one of the reasons why enamel dials are normally white is that that is the easiest to produce. Black enamel is far more difficult, uh, or dark colors are far more difficult, they tend to crack. Interesting. Black specifically, I think, is the has the highest loss rate during production, which is why you almost will never see it. But there were some beautiful uh, Clausenay pieces done in the 50s from the beautiful menu, I mean, really, really gorgeous Clausenay enamel dials that were on all types of watches from Mido and Longines and Rolex and every company that you can imagine, their flagship pieces would usually have a Clausenay enamel dial. I love the way that the, um, the red colors stand out. And I mean, here's one example, but I mean, I've seen many like this where there's, you know, maybe uh, either you know the minute track or, or something like that will feature some sort of like a, a dark red accent color in in the font so matt's holding that's this the south bend right? this is south bend yeah so this is a pocket fob fob watch uh looks like it's rendered in like a a pretty heavy copper alloy um it's that one is is interesting it's a little that's a somewhat less common configuration to have, I guess, what would be called a, not I guess, but what would be called a lipine orientation of the crown and stem, so crown at 12, but in a hunting case. Hunting cases are normally, you will find the crown at three, and lipine movements will usually have an open case. Well, interesting. And you have, in your hand, I think you mentioned it earlier, but what, what, what did you bring? I brought a Vacheron uh, pocket watch from, I believe it is 1888 or 1887. I don't remember which year. Um, it's What is somewhat interesting about this is that it's actually not signed Vacheron Constantin. It's signed V ampersand C, Geneva. And on the movement as well, it's signed V ampersand C and it has the Maltese crosses on either side but the the words Vacheron and Constantin are completely absent from this watch. You said this watch you think dates from 1887? Yes. Okay so we're gonna have to come back to this mm -hmm. on something because mm -hmm. I, I you know I'm I literally just got into this so Chase you know we're we'll maybe talk about this at some length later. Okay. But I was sent a um, I don't know if it's a galley or if it's like a pre-production printing or whatever but a, basically oh, right. a, mm -hmm. a book about industrial espionage in the watch world circa like mid you know 1880s. Oh that is that will I would love to read this book. Yeah and um, <laughs> so it was it's written by a guy and I'm you know hand to god I have not done due diligence but it is a it looks like it's a a book that's been produced from a paper at HBS, you can you know you can buy the PDF for like nine bucks through Harvard Business School Press, mm -hmm. and it looks like it is a you know kind of a, a in depth treatment. It's probably somebody's you know um, you know diss or a thesis or something, but uh, uh, explores like you know how basically 
the Swiss were kind of looking over, you know, got a nose under maybe the tent flap of the American industry. And, um, you know, in particular, I think Waltham mm -hmm. and brought, you know, the techniques, the ideas, some of the intellectual property, maybe back to Switzerland and, you know, the, the events that followed from there. Well, I don't, I, yeah. You know, that's why IWC exists. Yeah. So I believe that the, it was an executive from, I don't remember which company, I'm inclined to say. F.A. Jones. Was he from Howard Watch? I don't know, but I believe he was, um, yeah, I mean, he it's basically an, an, it's an, an, uh, an, a, an American sort of Swiss endeavor. He, he was sent to Switzerland to investigate, uh, to try to learn from the Swiss, produc Swiss production techniques and bring them back to the U.S. What he then decided to do instead was to simply move to Switzerland and start a watch company. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not? Right. So anyhow, um, yeah, looking looking at the internals on that Vacheron pocket watch, you know, it, um, it's an amazing thing. But I mean, it's, you know, I think you, when you think of Vacheron today, you, you're going to open something up that big. And it's going to be so beautifully decorated and finished. Mm -hmm. And not to say that this is industrial because it's clearly done by hand. And it's this really amazing looking thing. But it's so much bigger physically than we expect yes. to see. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and the, like the anglage is probably all done by hand, but not like it's not that sort of that perfection. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's cool. Well, keep in mind also at, at this point in time, there wasn't this strange obsession with making things in-house. So this most likely is a Le Coultre movement that was supplied to Vacheron and, and probably was supplied to Patek as well. Sure. Because they both used Le Coultre movements and was then finally decorated. And there are, there are things which if we wanted, we can certainly drill down and look at the construction of this movement but um, if you look at the the hound's tooth on the ratchet wheel and the um, perlage that is only under the balance there are actually several different finishes going on here which which is really what makes this a Vacheron versus just at that point a Le Coultre or, or another watch hey, let's see this thing that uh, the culture would have supplied movements to. I've got the loop and earth thing. Another uh, another interesting thing to look at is look at the um, the escapement. Look at the specifically the anchor. It's what's called a mustache escapement. So they were weighted. And the the idea was that by adding weight and inertia to the um, to the anchor escapement they would somehow increase its accuracy, which of course turned out not to be the case, but that was the, uh, that was a considered a high execution at the time. Yeah, well anyway, super cool. Here, I'm gonna give this back to you because I'm like, I'm getting nervous holding it. <laughs> Especially I'm like, oh, it's not an exhibition case back. It's just the open movement running. <laughs> it's like getting my breath on it. Close it up quick. I mean, you can find, and then we'll find enamel obviously today. Right. Yes. I mean, there's people that put it all the way in, like, I mean, the Seiko Corsage line, right? Yes. All yeah. the way up to, you know, 
Breguet Classiques. Or, I mean, I mean, it's, you're going to find it in a range of watches right now. Exactly. How long is the waiting list for Anne Ordain now? Like two years. I heard two years the other day. Somebody yeah. mentioned something. You know who did some absolutely... I can actually say who did the best enamel work that I've seen in the last decade is Vutalainen. Mm. Okay. Kari made some incredible pieces under his his line, Vutalainen, even though he's heavily involved with um, Urban Jurgensen. Mm-hmm. He... Which are, uh, those are beautiful watches. Those, uh, which also one of my favorite underrated. watches. Totally underrated. One of, one of my favorite watches, if I had to pick a very small number, whatever that number is, a, a Jurgensen would be one of them. Um, but he does some really incredible enamel work. And would we just be probably wise to just cover it Fume at this point too, is just another variation on enamel dial work? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I've heard the term used to describe the the optics of a dial rather than um, rather than simply you know the gra- you know grand peu petit feu a fumé dial is now now often it can often be called a gradient dial or ombre, ombre okay. or understood we will apply or vignette actually is another one mm-hmm. vignette dials uh, in fact until the first term i had heard for that ever was vignette and that's probably 20 years ago now. And then I started hearing all these other terms. But the um, the Fume dial, of course, makes uh, I, I uh, that would the the difference is here. Fume would be the gradient, whereas the Fu, a Grand Fu dial, is then the enamel dial. Okay. So Fume is, I think, describing the visual effect of the smoked edge mm-hmm. versus the fired dial. The ground food dial. That's actually a really interesting distinction. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you'd see other dials, right, that are not made, you know, with any kind of uh, uh, exotic material. But they and they have, would call them fume. Yeah, exactly. Probably, yeah. Just right. to sort of use the catch-all. Yeah. Right. Kleenex. Fume, you know. degradé, whatever. Yeah. Um, cool. Should well, we come back to metals? Sure. Yeah, what's next? I mean... I said we'd take like two minutes. We're totally not. But <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. Right. right. All right. Uh, so we talked solid gold. Right. Um, there's other metals to be used, right? There's also sort of the application of materials on the metal, right? So I'm thinking in my head, um, obviously silver. We, re- we we sort of alluded to that earlier. There's something with silver on the table. Uh, we talked some bit about gold. I don't know if this is where we talk about guilt, or maybe we save that for a different piece. I think we save guilt for where we talk about indices. Okay, that, you're right about that, which was not on the show notes, but when Chase said, I want to talk about indices, that made all the sense in the world. So let's talk silver. So, it's here somewhere. <laughs> I, I feel like You're I'm, noticing a common theme. I feel like I'm quoting Natalie on this. Hopefully she listens. Oh, here it is. Um, so, Omega has uh, treated us to a couple of silver dials. The uh, CK uh, number that escapes me at the moment. 859? 859 sounds right. And there's also, of course, the Silver Snoopy with the silver dial that then has some beautiful blue accents, including the blue ceramic bezel. And I'm uh, lucky enough to have one of those and to have brought it with me for us to discuss on the show. Congrats. We didn't even know yeah. you had this yet. Yeah, no, this yeah, that awesome. was that's a great surprise. This is my favorite Snoopy by far. By f- it's not even close. Um, I'm not going to disagree with you there. And uh, I'm a big fan. 
Here's an interesting fact about silver. Most people think that silver is a bad material because it oxidizes. The oxidation that we normally see in sterling silver comes from the alloys that are introduced, not from the silver itself. Sorry, so what Omega did is apparently they have used a different set of alloys to construct their silver dials that should make them much more resistant to impervious to oxidation. This, I'm sorry, I know this is a dial episode, but I'm like, I just, I... It's impossible not to turn it Yeah, yeah. I, I I, I, <laughs> this is a party trick that is just awesome and is way way above a party trick. It I'm, is just... I'm geeking out on the animation. I'm sorry. Shout out Mike Heyman. He brought his out when we met up with him in advance of planning the um, beer event at Overtown. And that was the first time I had this in, in hand, and uh, it, it, it just didn't get old. Here's the World War One Flying Ace circumnavigating the moon <laughs> oh my god i love this i love this doesn't get old yeah i um this is one that i would not ask to like take home but uh my wife would get a huge kick out of this because she's a huge schultz fan this is so cool has she and, been to the uh the museum in santa rosa is it in santa rosa you know i don't know that's a good question i didn't um, know that i think in that case you should and then she should get the kick out of it. Yeah. Well, either way, though, it's the the animation is so good. Um, yeah. So dibs, you know, just put put me in your will for that one. But as you say, you know, that's a, a silver dial watch where, you know, some of these things, and I I know Omega does this, and I presume other companies do too. But Omega's kind of in recent years, um, I think, has gotten. Uh, I don't know if a reputation from two watches is enough to be called a reputation, but they describe a metal that is, for whatever reason, is, you know, some, you know, alloy of, of precious metal and some other metallic components. They'll describe this as silver, but my guess is, I, and I don't know this, so educate me, but my guess is some of the, the alloying components to this to stabilize it are actually above silver in terms of, you know, value on a precious metal, you know, valuation scale. The same way bronze gold, most of the, the components of that watch, other than the copper, you know, it's, it's probably more accurately termed nine karat gold with, you know, palladium, copper, silver. Yes. And... But they'll call it bronze just to, you know, for maybe from a marketing point of view. But, you know, that really under underplays it. I imagine it's the same thing with this silver dial. I'm guessing there's palladium, probably some uh, platinum and nickel. I don't know what the what alloy they use for the silver. I do know with the bronze gold that they use silver as an alloy as well in there. Yeah, there's no tin in it. They're right. They're, they're, it's the... The bronze gold is its actually one of my favorite materials that Omega is using. I think it's very, it's a very attractive metal. Yeah, it's really warm and very cool. It is cool. warm. They're, I find their Sedna to be too red. Mm. And their previous red gold was too red when it was new. It softens naturally if you don't polish the watch. But if you think of a traditional classic pink gold then the bronze gold in my eye is actually the closest that you will get to that yeah well again we're kind of going on a tangent here but i um i'm all about it because i love that watch this is so cool i'm watching this thing i'm waiting for it yeah <laughs> sorry i it's I, worth waiting for 
Hey, you came for the watch talk and you stayed for the alloy uh, percentage composition. Well, right, the right, other Jack. piece of this that's so cool on the back of this watch, but the animation is, it looks so three-dimensional. You know, because it's, you know, the, the moon is basically, the moon surface is, you know, elevated. It's basically the, the probably immediately on the underside of the surface of the sapphire. You've got the, you know, the little earth spinning around in the background, and then Snoopy's going to be in between. They've managed to really create a lot of depth without a lot of physical space. Yeah. I'm very impressed by that. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll make a comment just as building on what you said and maybe even summarizing. Every, a lot of people assume that alloys have a universal composition. This is far from true. Oh, no, absolutely not. And so an example I like to use is white gold because I generally no, right. dislike it very much because a primary, the, the primary alloy component is nickel. Now, there has been for many, many years something called palladium gold where palladium is used as the whitening and alloying material in the white gold and that it makes the white gold more expensive than nickel white gold it makes it more expensive than other 18 karat golds or 14 karat you know any it makes it more expensive than similar carotage golds because you're now introducing another precious metal as an alloy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but and this is a generalization this is what canopus gold is Canopus gold is then a, P a platinum group metal, PGM, uh, making up the 25% or most of the 25% of the alloys. So you don't have issues with nickel allergies. The, it doesn't need to be rhodium plated. What you're seeing is the actual color of the metal. I'd like this episode to be rated PGM. Yeah. <laughs> can you do that? Is that? Can you do that on the back end? We'll put it. We'll put it on there instead of the E explicit rating of PGM. <laughs> PGM. Yeah. Um, okay. So, silver dial. What's our next step? I think. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chase. This was, I was doing some research. I came across a term I hadn't heard before, but I want to get into it now that Matt's getting giddy with what's on his wrist right now because it's going to lead us there. Marketry. Mark. Mark. Marketry. Marketry. So there are two terms and. Um, people use them, they, they often use them interchangeably, and they're almost the same, marquetry and parquetry. Parquetry and marquetry, okay. So, the difference being that one is primarily geometric shapes, and marquetry is then, can be, I, I believe parquetry is the geometric shapes, and marquetry does not have that requirement. But essentially what you're talking about is wood veneers that are cut into shapes and used to create some sort of image or pattern using potentially different finishes or different woods. Um, I wouldn't call this marquetry. Got it. Okay. This is a veneer. This is a veneer. Because there's only one piece. And that's, that's the only reason why. Yep. If you look at old furniture, you'll see examples of marquetry slash parquetry old clocks often as well and so matt what's on your wrist right now this is a repeat customer and yeah this <laughs> is and it's a vip it's always yeah. welcome this is the uh this is the the full yellow gold uh rolex day day with the the wood dial pearl wood right yep the the what what do they call it the um uh they rolex did several different um w different woods and this is what's called what they often is often referred to as burl wood. Um, it's 
I would describe it, it's the same wood that's often used for pipes mm -hmm. and looks very similar to what you would imagine a wooden pipe looking like. Yeah. And if I, it might correct me if I'm wrong, is it that they basically get this from a knotty aspect of the tree? Yes, okay. probably from the root area, right. actually. Okay. Which makes it very hard and very stable. Other woods that you would see, I don't want to get away from this because. Every time this is out, Matt gets a little, a little uh, uncomfortable. And yeah, I've, I've got wood. Chair. Um, <laughs> we talk about we have burl wood on the on the on the pres on the day date. Um, birch, birch, mahogany, I guess. Right. What are some other things that we've seen from Rolex uh, from others? I'm trying to think. You, you, you've now mentioned. Well, I think we've mentioned four. Um, I can't think of others that I've seen on watch dials. I've seen veneers from of poplar as well poplar and maple but i haven't seen i don't think i've seen either of those on the watch dial yet i think the thing with some of these things that look really good in macro kind of presentation probably would be tough like you know something like a uh, uh birch in particular right where it's got all these kind of beautiful uh, or maple you know these eye patterns and things like that you're gonna, you're gonna need a piece like at least this big to see any of it right. you know and I'm, I'm holding you know like in, in my hands here like a you know one by one foot kind of a walnut for example so people often yeah. think of burr yeah. walnut but the the burrs in walnut are the size of the entire dial here yeah exactly exactly you, you lose all the cool detail so you know something you could almost go with something like really fine fine grain for this i'm going to give that back that's pretty amazing but the idea of a a wood dial in a watch is just super cool are there current catalog rolex wood dials no they Rolex. So uh, I'm going. To, this is reciting from memory. So forgive me if I've missed something. But the f leaving, leaving um, Mother of Pearl and Meteorite aside, the recent catalog, the first exotic dial in the recent catalog was Malachite, and it was specifically in the yellow gold 31 millimeter model. And they've now expanded the exotic materials a bit with the day dates mm -hmm. and the GMT. Oh, sorry, the GMT is is meteorite as well, as we've seen meteorite in in day dates and Daytonas. But um, I think the day dates now have a few interesting stone options. Falcon eye, tiger eye. There's. Uh, I know that there is a what turquoise mm. turquoise is on the yellow gold the white gold and the platinum have is it pink opal which i find i think is actually very 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 attractive and then the rose gold has eisenkiesel which um they call it eisenkiesel on the english website as well so that's just the name of the stone very attractive stone Let's get stoned. Yeah. <laughs> let's go, let's move into stone dials, right? I could help with that too. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. Right. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> let's talk precious stones. I'm gonna give a shout out to our buddy Aldo. We we shout him out every once in a while. Um, watch Art Art Logi, cool guy, local watch collector. And I'll be honest, some of the the inspiration for digging really into this was he had picked up not too long ago a Piaget and lapis lazuli. And Very I started, nice. my mind started just wandering. I should, had had Chase, had I bothered Chase, I'm sure he would have entertained me, and ended up with this, you know, this this fun little citizen tiger eye. And, and but it, that's where it sort of 
said, let's let's have a fun, you know, deep dive on this conversation. So, let's do stones. Let's I think they're stones. amazing. I think they're so cool. They are. They're they're super cool, and like all of the exotic dials. Well, sorry, not like all. But like, what once we stray from metal, which I, I I'm trying to figure out how to draw this distinction because while the me while metal is is finished by a human and glass is of course an organic compound that's then formed by a human as well what I like about wood stone mother of pearl meteorite these these other the others is that they are unique every single one is a different and there is a piece unique sort of there is a great deal of character and I think you're you're preserving more you're preserving more of nature it's um it's less synthetic, I, is how I would describe it. Because while enamel is glass, and while, while of course metal comes from the earth, the metal is being formed by by hand. It is its final structure is purely synthetic. The final structure of the enamel is synthetic. With the stone, yes, you're you're creating the shape, you're shaving it, but that's essentially what you're doing. What you see is a natural form. Which, I, which is appealing to me, and I find beautiful, and everyone is beautiful in a different way. I'll tell you, I feel like I'm laying on the couch right now. I think Chase just unlocked why this was an interesting, you know, concept to me. It, 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 you've, you've totally unlocked it for me. It's just, it's unique, it's natural, and uh, that's just infinitely cool. It's I like completely you just agree. Sat up like Maza. <laughs> <laughs> We have stone dials here, I think, right? We we have this tiger sure. eye. We have tiger eye. That's yours, Greg. That's what, pretty amazing. What other? I you know I think with stone. Oh, we should meteorite. It is a stone. Okay, sure. That's yeah, that's Let's probably the that closest. Together, yeah, the closest thing. And we can probably discuss even though. I, I don't consider it a stone. It's a shell. Let's discuss mother of pearl. Well, it's these a, are in the family. Yeah, I mean, this is it's a minerality is the kind of the core of the composition, right? And right. it is um, it's an organic production of that sort of mineral deposit. I mean, it would I hesitate to liken it to something like a kidney stone, <laughs> but that would be. <laughs> That would be an amazing watch dial material. Kidney stone. But you know what I mean? It's basically, it's I a... I sell my kidney stone to participate in this watch. It's a, um, yeah, right, right? Just eat a lot of Tums, Greg. Um, <laughs> sorry, that just went off the rails in a hurry. <laughs> but you get the idea, right? I mean, this is, um, so this is a, what amounts to something like a stone that is formed um, literally in an, an organic host. So it's the iridescent lining of a mollusk shell, right? right? Yeah, right. At, at its core. Wow! Yep. Someone has a really big wrist. Well, we we put so these. <laughs> Chase now is playing with this is the the Oris Aquis Date thirty six point five. So the, I think they'd call it thirty six. The thirty six point five with the mother of pearl dials. We have the pink and we have the blue, the Aegean blue. Uh, we've had these now. They've got to go back because they're overdue. But we wanted to keep them for this episode in particular because they are so cool. Um, and I did put all the links back. So that is basically the, oh, the full-size bracelet. So this is how it ships, understand. Yes, precisely. But that thing is... I We had a great time wearing these watches. And they're they're basically... They're what amounts to full-feature dive watches. I mean, that's, you know, a unidirectional 
uh, rotating bezel. You've got a, um, a luminous pip, right? And yes. you know the uh, all of the indices in the hands are luminous. Screw down crown. I mean, it's got a full. I want to say it's 200 meters water resistance. And you know, there's really nothing about that except the size that would speak against it being used. You know, in a in a real dive setting. I but mean, for a lot of people, that size is perfect, and you know, it works well size. on my wrists. This is, I think this is the same size as my uh, Anycar Divette. I, I thought you were going there. Yeah. 36, they, they full-featured 36 millimeter dive watch, which makes a lot of sense because this is, this is a wonderful size. Yeah, well, and I got to test drive that watch for a long time, right? I had your Sherpa Divette for several months, and that thing was like a really, really cool watch, but compare like the bezel action on that, it's oh, so yeah. much less fussy. Oh yeah, I will. The the I think the divet doesn't ratchet at all. No, and it's, that, uh, I think it's bi-directional. Actually. It's bi-directional, and it's an it's an old <laughs> it's a very old watch. Right, uh, it's an it's an old thing. It's not you know yeah, I wouldn't judge it you know by modern standards, but if you wanted something that is in that sort of um, that format size wise, this compares really well. And of course, you know, the, the dial itself is sort of the party piece for this thing. They're very attractive dials. Agreed. We found that the blue one, we got to see the green at Feldmar. Correct. So Feldmar has the green dial and we got to check that out. Feldmar, of course, is kind of local sort of favored AD status here in Southern California. Um, and we've had the blue and the pink in that the blue dial in particular seems to me to be the most alive. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The blush pink is, is attractive, but the blue pops. The, the pink is definitely a pastel. Um, yeah, it, it's. I actually find it attractive, I think, maybe because it's a little bit of a pastel. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a great looking watch. Actually, almost matches the color of your phone case. Oh, you're right. It does. <laughs> it, it almost matches this. I think, I think they called this color pink lemonade. I don't even know what uh what they call it yeah yeah and i have in my hand what chase brought which is a ladies tag Heuer aqua racer yes also, also 300 meters also 300 meters also ratcheting Mother bezel Girl. ratcheting bezel a unidirectional ratcheting bezel which you know good luck using it for anything because it's <laughs> full of diamonds but <laughs> how neat is this yeah this is the fun stuff we come out for and this is a what you would i guess a, a, equate to Mother of Pearl, if you, somebody said Mother of Pearl to you, you're thinking this, right? This is the, the white iridescence. Correct. That, that's what I would think of. That's, that's Mother of Pearl without any coloration added. And um, I had in my mind a Zin Mother of Pearl. Yes. Yeah, the 5.56 five, and that, some others. The U50 what, perhaps, right? That's what I, I was just looking. I know there were the, the U50 Mother of Pearl, especially with that black case, is really striking I'm somebody that I know has one and I was shocked at how much I like that watch yeah. it looks so good that mother of pearl to my eye softens a watch so much and makes it changes the character dramatically because it's on one hand it looks like it could just be white and monochromatic but there's so much texture and these you know um, hints of color that will just come and play as you as you shift it against the light. Okay, so we've got Mother of Pearl. We did wood. We talked stone. Do you guys have a favorite stone dial? What's your favorite? Ooh. I don't know enough about them 
um, to know what like sort of the full range is out there. Uh, I do like malachite. You know, that's probably you know pretty obvious. I've never seen malachite in anything other than yellow gold. Do they make it in you know platinum or? I'd be interested to see it in a in a white gold or a white metal. I'm trying format. to. Th- I, I feel like I've seen it, and I'm trying to remember where I've seen it, and I liked it. A yeah. Lot. Yeah. It it looks great on white as well. I'm trying to think. But yeah, I mean, I think I think that's my sort of my stone dial go to. But maybe just because I'm familiar with it, you know, I, I kind of have a sense of what it is and its legitimacy, particularly with Rolex. Malachite was, but I think also was pretty popular in the seventies and eighties. Well, I want to say, do, does um, am I mistaken? Does Omega make a three hundred, a Seamaster three hundred in Malachite? They do. They actually they make. That's right. They make it in platinum. Yep, yep. They make it in platinum and it's, white it gold. It is. I I is have tresor in Malachite as well, or is that in jade? There's a green dial tresor, right? There, but it's it's not a stone. There is oh, a tresor okay. in a actually. There's a tresor in a black mother of pearl, or what I think that they called Tahitian pearl dial. Yeah. That is actually very attractive. I didn't expect to like that so much, but when I saw it, I think that would be the tresor I would get if I was going to get a tresor. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the mother of pearl, right? That gives you the bragging rights, the black mother of pearl Tahitian pearl. It's no big deal. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, just Tahitian pearl, whatever. <laughs> right. You don't have one? <laughs> oh, sorry. But- but the funny thing is, the premium is, we'll say, to the price of the watch, the premium is negligible for the Mother of Pearl dial. Hmm. So there's, it, it's absolutely, if you want the white gold model, the one to get. I would do that. I'd hit it. Absolutely. For sure. I have to say Lapis Lazuli might be up there for There's me. a 300 for you in Lapis as well. Yeah. Those are the two stone dials they make, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. What, and the they do the both green. of them in white. Uh, sorry, they do both of them in platinum and yellow gold. And they are quite stunning, actually. Yeah. New AP Royal Oak 37 just dropped in turquoise. Yes. I think oh. it's pretty hot. Big it's pretty. Fan, it's big pretty. fan of turquoise. I, yeah. I've always been a big fan of turquoise. I don't it's want to throw hot. any kerosene on the hype fire that is Audemars Piguet, but that's a great looking watch. <laughs> it's pretty good. Everything else they showed, I was like, yeah, whatever, 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 whatever. I I don't hate the code watches. I know they get a lot of... They're nicer now. I think so. But I like the, the um, But the... I'm sorry, the, the gold and the that turquoise, it's like... Again, or so Oris does bronze with the, you know, the, the different colors. This is basically that, but right. like the contrast. You yeah, mean, right. yeah. But when I win the lottery, yeah, yeah. I can imagine the two, two, two with turquoise as well. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> right? Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. I, Especially I, I a, just a yeah. non a non round one, like the the rectilinear one. Oh, that's so cool looking. Have you seen one of those? That. Yeah, I have. Yeah, they're really good. Shh. You so. know, I want. I, I realize that we this is out of order, but we skipped something. And this is related, this will come back, this is closer than to enamel, but there, there are porcelain dials as well. Porcelain dial. Very, very fine porcelain dials. Uh, an example that I can think of uh, from previous years, actually Meissen did a special watch with Glasshut Original. There was a Meissen dialed Geo. And there are, current in current production, some very impressive sin with sin porcelain dials that are then hand painted as well. Oh, interesting. My gripe with those is that they are, they're in the, from their dress watch range, 
but the watches are quite frankly too big. They're they're slim, check. They're they're pretty. They're, the dials are gorgeous, but they're just they're too big to be an elegant watch. Now, at least with the hand painted hand painted porcelain, you're using that real estate well, and it doesn't visually feel like there's a lot of empty space. But those really should be done in 36 millimeter, if anyone's listening. <laughs> Few people are. Few people are. Um, gosh, all this AP talk. I'm thinking about the new Star Wheel, which is pretty attractive. It's not the right size, I don't think, for that that watch. But um, Aventurine. Now that we're thinking on. Well, now so Aventurine can also be is often synthetic as well. Oh. So oftentimes you'll have Aventurine glass, essentially blue glass dials. Uh, very common with what we're seeing in Omega. Um, I believe ALS is using natural aventurine. Omega, if you if you ask, the, it is an aventurine dial, although it is a synthetic, not synthetic, it's just a man-made aventurine dial. It's chemically equivalent. Um, we had a Le Sablier yeah. in, in, in hand for a while. They make a... Um their first edition, I think, was the um, Sport Classic, an Aventurine dial, and a pretty affordable package. I think it's neat. Josh would love this, right? The highs and the lows. Yeah. Sort of, you know, a, a, a sort of an elevated material and a pretty value-driven package. That's right. kind of neat. That so is kind of cool. dro drove me to this little thing too, you know. Yeah, that, love it. That Citizen Tiger Eye. It's uh -huh. like a highs and lows. Right. It's super cool. I love, I love that watch. <laughs> Chase has already called dibs on it. Yep. 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 Well, there is a, there's a, well, do we have anything else to, in terms um, of... Well, know? we talked about the Formexes and Meteorite, so I think we, we're, we're comfortable there. Um, are there any other Meteorite dials that stand out to you guys? I mean... The, the GMT for me. Right, that was the one that first put it on my radar. Yeah. It was like, and I'm sure that was not the first, but it was the first one that put it on my radar. Right. Zodiac put one out recently, too. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's see. Oh, this is, this is also out of order, but we should mention if we're talking about metal dials um besides silver omega has platinum and gold dials on their watches uh specifically the gold dial is a, a yellow gold dial happens to come on my favorite iteration of the gold speedmaster and i know everybody is going crazy for the gold speedmaster with the green dial but i love the golden panda yeah. and i think yeah I, i'm think with you that one as much as nice as the green dial is, the green dial is nice. That is a gorgeous, striking watch. With you on that, um, and it is a—it's a gold, a frosted gold or matte gold plate with black subdials and a black bezel. That—that's exactly how I would do a gold Speedmaster. Yeah, it's amazing. Remember, I think we covered that when those came out. Yeah, yeah, we did. so good, we did. so good. Paper dials. Ooh, now that is, if we're, if we're going to go <laughs> I like to, the, Chase's interest. to the extreme other end of the spectrum as far as stability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? What, what doesn't last very long? Right. Paper. <laughs> what would you not want to give to the guy, you know, to the discount watchmaker in air quotes <laughs> paper <laughs> no you cannot refinish it yes I coming across a citizen um chronomaster when i was doing this uh, some notes it's pretty cool oh it is yeah. it's very cool actually yeah. i i my my hat goes off to them for doing this 
I think the dials are very attractive as well. I am concerned about how long they would last <laughs> when exposed to sun or moisture or, well, when exposed to all the things that watches get exposed to. Let me, maybe I'll bring us up to, to, the fu- to the present and future, and I don't even know that's the right way to preface this, but I'm thinking forward-facing materials, right? So Matt's got a ceramic dial here. Is that something that would have existed decades ago, or is that sort of a new, a newer development in, in dial material? Well, I I don't I, to me ceramic then is like a porcelain. Okay, right. Um, so it's very interesting, and I like it, but I don't know. I don't know what the difference is to the consumer as much. And I think it will come down to, in most cases, the specific execution more than anything else. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think what they tout, and the watch in question in this case is the the current version of the Omega Seamaster 300M. So it's kind of the the garden variety, you know, C100 Bond-ish watch. This is the one with the black dial. This is the one reintroduced in 2018. And this is, um, basically, I think this is zirconium oxide. And I think what Omega would probably say is, you know, this gives you a wave pattern dial that should be, in theory, pretty impervious to any degradation by UV exposure, um, you know, this should not uh, uh, kind of fade or, you know, experience any kind of loss of color or cracking or craquelure or whatever. Right. Um, and that this should look pretty much like this, especially in combination with the ceramic bezel for a very long time. As the same thing, as the same shade. Yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely. And I know some people are going to not like that, you know. Um, it's, it's, but it's a know, value add. It's, in oh, it's some definitely respects, a value right. add. I, I, I like the ceramic dials very much. I think the they're they're going to be probably more resistance to damage than porcelain or enamel. I should think so. And that's that's a great thing. Although part of me then also says, what are you doing to your watch if you're actually able to damage the dial? But that's another story. <laughs> And if we ever rebrand the pod, it's definitely going to be the Sage NATO. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's sort of I, I, that's got my Matt trademark color. I am the Sage NATO. <laughs> you are the Sage NATO. Uh, carbon, carbon dials. Ooh, yes. Those, those are fun. Those I like. Actually, a watch that I like very much has a carbon dial. It's out of production. It was the Speedmaster HBSIA. And what an awesome watch. That watch was in titanium. It had a carbon fiber dial. It was a true GMT chronograph with a very thin Frederick Piquet derived movement. I wish it was actually a 42 millimeter instead of 44, but otherwise it was pretty perfect. Yeah, when you think about it, I mean, if you're talking about carbon fiber and then you can get into, I don't know, it would certainly be, you know, um, I guess it would be sort of mineral derived. Mineral derived. But, um, well, no, I'm thinking of uh, uh, 
you know, the really, really, really avant-garde high-spec technology, which would be things like a, a sapphire dial. Or, and oh, I, yeah. I mean, and some of them can be done, obviously, very inexpensive and kind of schlocky. Mm. And there's a few watches, you know, that are like that. But then there's others where, you know, they can be incredibly technical, um, you know, as a, as a possibility. And I'm not saying that, that I can't even think of a watch necessarily that has that. But that's if if they're making watches and they are, I want to say, is it Gerard Perigot that has a sapphire case? I imagine they have a, a sapphire, like a, a dial, or they can do that. Well, I think Zenith, the Defy Extremes, are a sapphire dial. Okay. If I understood correctly. I believe... I thought also that the star wheel discs were in sapphire. I may be wrong. I thought those may have been. And then... Else. What's Lange, the, the, the smoked sapphire dials that they do? Are those sapphire, I'm, I'm saying smoked sapphire, the smoked dials that they do that are translucent? The translucent, yeah. those are. those sapphire Yes, for, dials, the, right? for the Lumen models. Yeah, right? those yes, are so are. cool. Those, yeah, I've forgotten I about those. those. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of times they say like, that thing's badass. Like, badass. So in, badass. in my mind, what I was thinking was Richard Mill. Oh, as, yes, at, of course, they do as well. At, at, but I... I feel pretty comfortable that that's something that they've done but i don't know that's not the world i play in so i don't know that their reference but truth be told if, if anybody's doing things like that yeah it's, it's going to be certainly going to be them um so we've covered a lot of ground here i mean we are you know we're we're pushing about an hour and 20 minutes now is there anything that we have left out we've talked about mother of pearl with tag hoyer and with oris We've talked about you know gold and silver dials with Omega, Vacheron, Constantine. Um, we left out the most common dial. Okay. Of course we did. Yeah, we just left out the the one that's probably on every, on every everybody's wrist. Good would catch. Be some sort of lacquer or lacquer some sort of application, whether it's lacquer or PVD or whatever paint on the base plate. That's what how most watches are made. So there are plenty of examples. Um, there's, I guess, my my signature Rose Gold DeVille. There's a Mido here. There's the Baylor, which we were talking about earlier, and yep. the example of the uh, degradation of the base plate. Movado, a Cortebear, Citizen. Uh, the, most Rolexes, the other ones that are here, the Tudor. Yep. So these are all examples. Oh, and the Sin. This is a finish that's been put onto the base plate. And maybe a way to remember these versus the, sto the stone and the wood and the carbon fiber and the everything else is that the question to ask yourself, these are the dials that can be refinished. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. You can strip off whatever's on there yeah. and put something else on there. You obviously can't really do that with wood. I mean, you could, but it's uh, <laughs> you wouldn't end up with, you couldn't recreate the same thing. Yeah, just get out the belt sander. I right. could do it. <laughs> I could do it. There Don't... we go. That's actually a fitting way to sort of come all the way around because I had made a comment earlier, and I'm sort of speaking for people, but... It's almost taken for granted, right? That right. is the quote-unquote watch dial. Right, that's a dial. A dial is varnish, paint, PVD, etc., etc. It's some something deposited, whether a liquid or a powder that's deposited on there, rather than a solid second piece, a, a true second 
level, we'll say, on top of the base plate. Yeah. I heard the, um, so I had one more note on here of just upcycled materials, which is interesting. You know, there's the Aquas right. upcycle. Yep. Just heard um, Black Badger on the Standard H podcast, great pod. And what he's doing is always interesting. And I think he's been particularly interested in Fordite uh, of late, right? Which is interesting. So just upcycle, I guess, in general. And I will say we left out one of my favorites, which I don't know if it applies here, but I think this is... It might not apply, but this is where you talk about it. Yeah. And it's no dial at all, slash skeleton. Sure, I would say that's a dial treatment, right? It, it's, well, it's a, it's a movement treatment. A skeleton, so you can have a watch with no dial, and I would say things like the old Swatch body and soul. Not really a skeleton. Yeah, they've skeletonized like one area. They removed some material from the base plate, but really it's not, it's not a true skeleton. And then you have a movement treatment, which is skeletonizing the movement because there, in fact, is no dial. Oh, yeah. sapphire dial, I just remembered. The Omega Torbions. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um, actually, yeah, kind of got that in my mind. That looks, that's such an amazing, like, just thing to look at. I mean, so here's a, a very, very little-known piece of information with the Omega Torpions. They, I have a great deal of respect for them because, in general, Omega, I like the fact that they are, they are not too proud to bring in innovations from someone else and proudly do so whether it's the coaxial from daniels or the center tourbillon now the center tourbillon there's a reason that you don't see them from any other company and that's because it was developed by a very fantastic watchmaker called haldeman yep haldeman pronounce his first name i don't even remember his first name bayat bayat ah. yeah okay yeah it's a it's like the word beat. Ah. Haldeman. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Yeah. yeah amazing. Yeah, I I had to look that up. I'm sorry. I, like, I actually feel like I've failed. I should just leave now. Oh, no. But <laughs> Beat Haldeman developed the center tourbillon. His center tourbillon, of course, predate Omega's. But him, him slash his team make the, or at least in the past, made the Omega center tourbillon. And Omega is the only company that has the right to use his design. You ever seen these, Greg? Some of no. the Haldeman Turbion watches. There's, there. It, it's just the term. There is no. You're not looking at, at a, a normal watch layout with indices or anything like that. The idea is, it is just the technology, and there's. It's not telling the time. It just, but you wear it on your wrist like a wristwatch, and it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, have a minute track or anything that you would expect to see in some of these. I mean, some do. Yeah. But like that's one of the ones that I, I remember just thinking like this is just the most like in your face watch move. It's like you don't need to tell time. What time. I love about the Centro Torbillon is that they don't have a second hand. Yeah. They just have a a hand that is imposed on the Torbillon cage because it's right in the middle of the dial. Yeah. So you have an hour and a minute hand, but the Torbillon is your second hand. It's I think beautiful and wonderful application. Sorry, I, I had to talk about. No, that's let's say alternative dials slash non-dials. Yeah, that's a good uh, a good thing to bring up. Uh oh, somebody okay? Had to be a few beers deep. Minor minor altercation across the <laughs> across the way. 
That's pretty good, guys. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that we could, in good, in good faith, round out the episode without at least discussing some other aspects of the dial. At least indices and luminescence, because th these are things that people talk about all the time, and we should maybe put some degree of, of order to that. Sure. To that. So do you uh, want to do luminescence first? Let's, well, let's talk about indices, okay. and then we can talk about luminescence as an, an, a potential enhancement to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, I guess you could have luminescence on the hands without any indices, but um, yeah, generally, no, yeah. It makes sense if you want to go like that, sure. So with indices, I would say we'll, we'll divide it into two camps. It's either applied indices or not applied. Applied being... Sure. Um, something that is a separate piece that sits on top of the dial. Oftentimes you'll see them as like a bar or an arrow or numerals or Roman numerals, any number of things. The, the one exception I'll say, it's either one or the other. The, the type of indice or index that is very similar to an applied index, but isn't actually applied is where you can have an either embossed or debossed or carved indice mm -hmm. out of the base plate. And we have a couple examples of those here. So one, which is a particular favorite of mine, this very old Mido, back when Mido was a somewhat premium watch company, um, it has the indices carved out of the dial. So you have, the dial is a lacquered finish, and then each hour has like a diamond cut into the base plate, so you're looking at the base plate showing through this kind of cream white finish. And that's how we have the hour indices. And it's cool. It's so clear that it's carved. Yes. I mean, it's an, it's an, it's an obvious selection. Yes. And it's super handsome. I, I think so as well. But this, was a, this was a quality watch. The case is by... Uh, Borgel of Talbert, which made cases for all of the best watches. The crown is from Bonici, also crowns for the best watches. Um, what, uh, what other? We, why don't we talk then about comparing, if we're going to compare applied versus non-applied, the examples of these Universal Geneva Unisonics, one of them being a green lacquer that seems to emulate jade the other one being a i would say silver white with a printed hour index the green having the applied hour index these are super cool i remember when you brought these out to rt rogers then you may have completed the twosome around that time i think so I think. but i changed the straps since then yeah and i think they have now reached their peak form i agree with you I agree with you. And it is. I mean, it's a completely different experience. The watch feels totally different yeah. with one versus the other. Do you have a favorite? I actually don't because they're so different. Like yeah. they, they're, I like that watch a lot, obviously. Where else should we go with this? I think now we should move on to luminescence. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, 
we'll probably keep this short because most people probably have a pretty good idea of what we're going to cover, but luminescence started back in the early 20th century with simply the need to read your watch at night. Before that, your only option was a repeater. Mm -hmm. And it was with radium, which glowed, also caused cancer. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> All bad things. We then moved on to tritium, which has a much, much lower uh, radio, uh, radioactive emission rate. And now we generally use luminova or some other modern non-radioactive luminescent material. To give you an idea of how radioactive radium was, we have the example here of the Cortebear. Uh, where there is no radioactive, there is no luminous material left on the dial, but all of the places where there was luminous material are so darkened that you expect that the dial was printed that way. It was not, in fact. That dial had no, um, it had no dark printing for the, ind for the index, for the hour index. And the other example we have of radium here has darkened dramatically is the um, Movado, interestingly, that has the same case and crown manufacturer as the Mido that's on the table. This one, though, has a full Arabic hour index and a very nice chapter ring dial. Unfortunately, is very degraded from about probably almost a hundred years of exposure to radiation. It's a long time. <laughs> yes. That is a long time. <laughs> Where I realize we're in 2023, this watch is probably from the 30s or 40s so it's at least 80 years of radiation exposure on this watch actually and, and that would same, make havoc on a lot yeah, of things <laughs> same goes for that court bear actually uh where else are we? we there are a few examples i'm sure we have examples of tritium there the is the gmt and the explorer 2 both have tritium on those And then the modern pieces, the Sin is a loom monster. It's, it glows really beautifully, is super legible no matter what the level of light, and that's done with Luminova. You know, I think um, loom is like a really obvious thing, right? You see it, right. or you don't, right, if it's not loom. But like, there is a whole level of sort of the history to it. Um, the level to which you know uh, it, it, it you know glows or doesn't, and so it's sort of a that's a whole almost a whole conversation in itself. Maybe. Well, what's interesting about Loom is that unlike the repeater, Loom came about when you essentially had society being electrified, so someone could turn on the light, but if you look at where Loom was used initially it was used in an application where you couldn't turn on a light whether it was the armed forces either diving well the armed forces in general whether it's air land or sea it was a situation where you didn't want to employ an external light source to tell the time so you needed to be able to read your watch and know the time regardless of the lighting situation and Repeaters are probably just not really in the cards for high, for for distribution to armed forces. <laughs> a solution to a problem, you right. might say. Yes, very much so. I just actually sat back down with the sarsaparilla. 
I told I, was, I told Chase about it when we ordered some beers earlier. Yeah, so those are going to be a take home. There's a, a growler of the sarsaparilla waiting for me, oh, and uh, right. I've got. Uh, yeah. Well, no. I well, because we're gonna do uh, root beer floats tonight. Yeah. But course. I'm telling you, taste that sarsaparilla, and imagine now throwing a little bit of the absinthe in it. Oh, oh. which is what Asha was talking. About. Yeah. Ooh. Anyhow. Does Ben don't have it? <laughs> absinthe? Yeah. Uh, probably. Something. Yeah. I, I'm not doing that with my kids, but. <laughs> <laughs> be a very interesting evening yeah <laughs> check it out it's no i don't i don't think most of the stuff that's imported now has any of the hallucinogenic properties but anyhow well as always this is like a complete treat and fun time there's so much fun stuff on the table we got to make sure we grab a like a overhead shot to just give people oh. an idea of how much craziness is on the table before right we sign off we have to talk about other indices of course other stones people use the one that first stone that everyone will think of diamonds right diamonds but you can have anything from rainbow sapphires to the blue sapphires rubies emeralds there can be anything you can imagine onyx in fact can make a very beautiful onyx yeah. earlier yeah onyx can be both a dial or an index so there's there's just there's a lot to do Sorry, there's a lot to look at <laughs> you know. with um, with dials and and indices and and the hands. Though we didn't even talk about the hands, but we let's say we we touch them tangentially with discussion of loom. You know, I think uh, it could be that that like instance where like when you see a car that you think you're gonna buy, you start seeing it all over the road. And right, like, oh, they're everywhere. Yep. But I just feel like you know, there's this real return to interesting dial materials, throwbacks of things that were done maybe 40, 50 years ago, even certain brands that are really in fashion, really in vogue in the mainstream now, which have always been in, in, in trend within maybe the collecting community, but the Cartiers and the Piagets and of course Rolex, but certain Rolexes with certain dials. And so just this felt sort of apropos at the moment. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, yeah, very much agree. Very good. Well, guys, uh, we are, I think we're well, we're past an hour and a half. We should probably wind this down. Yeah. Um, Chase, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for bringing this amazing collection of just stuff. You know, the, the esoteric sort of learning that you've got here in, in the different watch boxes and watch rolls and everything that you've unpacked here. There's a lot to go over. Doesn't this make is the, funner than this. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff. Like, Chase is literally like a one-man party in terms of, <laughs> you know, bringing all the uh, all the good shit, really. Thank you very much. Man? No. Yeah. We can have this Crazy maybe be glass. the... Uh, oh. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, guys. fellas. That'll be our last sip. Go Cheers. birds. Take care. Yeah, go birds. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Cheers.